Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, God. Good morning. It's good to see you all here. My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, for those that are here, some of you I haven't seen in a long time, thank you for coming. It's good to be with you all. For those joining us uh, through online, I want to say thank you for staying engaged. Our plan for the foreseeable future is to offer both of these contexts. So for those who feel safe in these kind of limited capacity ways, we're trying to create guidelines where people can worship safely for those uh, for whom there's less risk or you feel comfortable. And for those online, again, we're, we're thankful for your engagement. We hope you're able at some point to gather with other people, even if it's in, even if it's in homes or backyards. And whenever you feel comfortable, uh, we'd love to see you again. But we anticipate this for months. And so we'll just continue in these things and keep communicating as best we can. Um, before we get into Matthew 11, we, uh, we need to pray because our hope today is actually to hear the invitation that Jesus gives in this passage in our own souls, in our own life, that we'd actually hear Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit who's present with us, actually inviting you uh, to come to Jesus today. In the midst of the burdens and the weights and the anxieties and the pressures and the exhaustion that we all feel as we try to navigate life, and Jesus offers us a really beautiful invitation to come to him for rest. And so we're going to pray and ask his spirit to begin even now uh, to actually open up our hearts to hear the voice of God through his living word. So let's pray together. Um, Jesus, we, uh, we confess that we need you now. We just sang it. We need your healing. We need your spirit to actually breathe life into our hearts. Uh, there are people here that, that have never known you, uh, that have never put their faith in you and began to follow you with life. Uh, there are people that are feeling weary from life and the burdens of work or family. There are people who feel hurt by religion, hurt by church, hurt by Christianity, and the, the weights that they've felt are weighing them down. And all of us, all of us, we need to hear your, your voice today inviting us to come, to come to you in the midst of all the weight and the pressure and find rest and joy and life with you, we pray that you'd help us this morning in Christ's name. Amen. We, uh, in our culture, we have different lingo that we use for different communities. And so you can pay attention to this. Uh, among generations, you can pay attention to this in different areas of the country. I think like generationally, the different language that people use is always fascinating because I always feel like as soon as I'm like figuring out what people say these days and the way they say things, like the generation shifts. So for me, like growing up, you know, things were cool. Like if someone was, if you liked it, it's like, that's cool. That's a cool car. That's a cool song. Or maybe sweet. You know, sweet was a big one. Man, that's really sweet. You know, that's a sweet song. That's a sweet person. You know, just like sweet. Like generations before, you know, maybe skipping a few generations before, there's things like groovy, you know, same thing. Like that's groovy, you know, before that, maybe swell or nifty or something. I don't know. And then there's like the, you know, the, the tight generation. That's really tight. You know, maybe depending on where you're from, like, man, that's like a, 
I love that song. It's super tight, you know. And then you kind of like moved out of that millennial generation and the kind of the Gen Z thing. I just do not speak Gen Z. I don't know it. So for those of you in Gen Z, like you, you have a language that just so you know, for the rest of us, we're like, we have no clue. Like I know what lit means. I know people are like, man, that's lit. That's like a new thing to say. Um, right? It's not really new anymore. Miguel has his God is dope shirt on right now, which means God is amazing and wonderful. Look, he's sporting it right now. God is dope. And God is dope. God is amazing. Um, and, uh, but, but, but there's stuff like, you know, you can say somebody's on fleek. Is that a thing? Something, right? Right? Like, uh, man, like that's, that's on fleek, you know? And I think that means like, man, they look great. Like they're like, they're on point. I don't know. You know, like there's just weird phrases and, and words that people use. People can talk about songs. Like I heard somebody say like, man, that song really slaps. I'm like, what does it slap? I'm like, what's the song slapping? I don't, I don't know. But like you, you have language that you use and it becomes common parlance for your, your community. And the same thing happens in churches. We have language, we have words that we use. And, and you think everybody knows what, what you mean. But if you're new to Park Church, which some of you are, you're like, you know, do you have small groups? And we're like, no, we don't have small groups. We have gospel communities, you know, um, which, yes, that means we have small groups. We just call them something different, right? So in churches, you have like missional communities and small groups and Bible studies and gospel communities, right? So people talk about what does it mean to be a Christian? You know, like, are they saved? Are they born again? Are they a follower of Jesus? Have they committed their life to Christ? All these are things that, that people use and they have, their, they have their space. But you notice like different communities use them differently. Now, there are times where that really matters. Like there are words the Bible uses that begin to kind of develop a, a meaning based on the way people are using them that may or may not be accurate or aligned with what, the way the Bible uses those terms. And they can, in different communities, begin to mean different things. And so one of those words that's a really crucial word in the Bible and a really crucial word in our church kind of like mission is this word disciple. A disciple. So some people think of a disciple, like if you, if you say, are you a disciple of Jesus? Um, there's a sense of, some people are like, does that mean like, did I pray a prayer when I was a kid? And because I prayed the prayer of, as a kid, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And that reality, the prayer and the future kind of trajectory of my life means I'm a disciple, right? I'm a disciple. It just means like I'm a Christian and whatever you view a Christian as, you think of that. Some people think about discipleship as like a program that you need to sign up for to take nine weeks or nine months or four years to be discipled and kind of learn scripture and memorize scripture. I think about like navigators culture, right? Like, oh, like who's your, who's your Paul and your Timothy and your Barnabas? Like, and you're, if you're not from NAVS, you're like, wait, who's, who are we talking about? And if you're from NAVS, you're like, yeah, I need to always have a Paul, a Timothy and a Barnabas. Somebody who's pouring into me, somebody who's my buddy and somebody I'm pouring into, right? This is just like, it's the stuff that's around but the Bible uses the word disciple in a really important way. And it was a way that had a really deep-rooted meaning in its culture in the first century Judaism, and also in broader Greco-Roman culture in the first and second century BC, and in the first century as well. And that word, this invitation to actually be a disciple of Jesus, which is used all throughout the New Testament, is really significant understanding of the way you understand our relationship with God and what Christianity is all about. And so we as a church have this mission. We exist to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. That's our mission as a church. What does that mean? All right, and so last week we were looking at this, this call to follow Jesus through the realities of the wilderness that we find ourselves in, the, the difficulties, the challenges. But what, is, what does it actually mean to follow 
Jesus. Does it mean pray a prayer? Does it mean trust that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day so that you can be reconciled to God and go to heaven? Yes, probably all that stuff. But it means more. It means more than those things. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Matthew 11, 28 and 30, and look at actually how Matthew 11, 28 through 30 is in its very essence an invitation to discipleship. It's an invitation to become a disciple of Jesus in the life and the freedom and the joy and the love and the rest that he's giving to his disciples is stunning. And I'm hoping that you hear his invitation today and actually draw near to him for rest for your soul. And so here's... here's, um, kind of the way I want to look at it. I want to look at the first couple of verses and kind of look at who this invitation is being offered to, first of all, and then, and then consider what this invitation is and what it might look like for us today. Um, look with me, Matthew 11. If you, if you close the Bible, feel free to open it back up. We're going to look at verse 28 through 30, just three verses. People will call this the great invitation. Jesus speaking first to those gathered around him, but also through the Holy Spirit, through the word, as an extension to all of us who would hear, come to me. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, that's all of you who are toiling, striving, feeling exhausted, and heavy laden, this burden. You're you're feeling weighed down. You're feeling the weight of life and the weight of what it means to be human pressing you down. And it's pressing you down. And it's pressing you down. And you're feeling exhausted and overwhelmed by the burden of life. And Jesus says, you, right there, right there, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn from me. These are discipleship language. I'll talk about it in a minute. He's saying, Come up next to me and approach. Take my way of carrying the burdens of life and learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly at heart. And you're going to find rest for your soul, like deep soul rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, Jesus right today is inviting you to freedom. He's inviting you to rest. He's inviting you to an experience of life that's not beat down, wear you out, grind you to the ground, but actually rejuvenating, refreshing, liberating, not liberating from circumstantial challenges, but finding joy in a way to carry the burdens of life through a different means, based on a different leader as a disciple of a different way. It's an invitation to the burdened and the overwhelmed. Uh, one, of, uh, one commentary that I, I've appreciated through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, a guy named Dale Bruner said this, He said, Jesus' invitation goes out to all those for whom life has become a grind, for whom existence is laborious, to those from whom the juice has gone out of life and all that's left is the rind. Jesus' heart goes out to them. These people, they're serious but discouraged. They want to be good. They want to please God and to help people, but they feel quite selfish, quite unup to the task, quite inadequate, and finally, failures. To those burdened with guilt and inadequacy, Jesus now appears and promises, first of all, refreshment, but also equipment for carrying future burdens and duties. He's saying, come to me for rest for your soul, refreshment, 
And then I want you to take a different yoke, the yoke that's been crushing you, which we'll talk about, and the weight that's beating you down. I want you to take mine. I want you to learn from me. Watch me. Watch the way I love. Watch the way I invite. Watch the way I live. Watch the way I teach. Listen to my instructions on the nature of the kingdom of God. Walk with me. Be with me. Be in relationship with me. Watch the way I love and live. Listen to the way I teach. And you'll actually experience freedom and rest and rejuvenation in life. And, you'll, and you won't feel crushed by the burdens of life. Doesn't mean the burdens go away. I'm just going to teach you a different way to carry them. I'm going to teach you a different way through them. This, this word yoke is a really significant uh, word. It was used commonly to describe the way that Jewish teachers would teach the law. The law, they would actually kind of describe it as a yoke, something you had to carry, something you had to kind of walk through life carrying. And so I want to share with you a little bit of the background of the way people thought about in the first century discipleship in the Jewish community. So in the schooling system, you'd have, similar to our, our kind of like uh, approach to schooling, I say our, our old school approach to schooling, now it's like, who knows, you know, learn things, please, God, learn things. I'm looking out seeing teachers, like trying to figure out like how to educate when all the rhythms have been disrupted. Well, their structure, in, the, in, the, in particular the Israelite community, was they first had Beth Sefer, which was like essentially like primary school or elementary school, where when you're four or five years old, you begin to study Torah, which for us is the first five books of the Bible, the, the five books of Moses, the law, but more specifically in the Hebrew mind, God's instructions for life. The Torah is God's instructions for living. And so the kids, four or five years old, all the way up to about 13, would begin to learn and memorize Torah. And by the time they got 13, they had a huge chunks of the Bible memorized. In theory, it wasn't just to memorize it and pass some kind of like bar mitzvah exam. In theory, it was actually to actually begin to shape the way they thought about the way to navigate life. This is God's instructions for living. But when they turned 13, boys would have a bar mitzvah, which is Aramaic for son of the commandments or son of the covenant. And then girls would have a bat mitzvah, which is a daughter of the commandment, which is like a rite of passage, a coming of age ceremony. And it was like, all right, now you, you like know the instructions that God's given you to live. Now live that way. Now some, some that like had the kind of like Eager Beaver Award, wanted to do more. Not a lot in the community would go on to essentially secondary school, which was Bet Midrash. And they'd go to secondary school and they'd keep learning from the prophets and the writings and they'd study different interpretations of Torah and how different rabbis throughout history interpreted different commands and how they kind of taught people how to live. And then after that, the cream of the crop, the best of the best, the people who knew their stuff and had their stuff together, would go up to these rabbis that were just like inspiring leaders in their community and they would essentially request permission to be their disciples. And they'd have a sense of this, this need to kind of show like, look, I know my stuff. I've got my stuff together. I'd be a really good disciple. Will you permit me to follow you as a disciple? And so you'd have the kind of rabbi and the disciple. Again, the Hebrew and Aramaic word is talmid. The Greek word is mathetes for disciples. So when we're learning to go make disciples, it's coming from this word mathetes. And the reason why that's significant is the word right here in Matthew eleven twenty eight, when it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, it's mathete from me, like follow me, follow my instructions for life. So the way they taught about it is people would essentially request, the cream of the crop would request permission to be a talmid, a mathetes, a disciple of this rabbi, and it would mean they're going to leave their family, leave their occupation, leave all those things. They're going to come alongside, enter into relationship with the rabbi and journey with them through all of life. And as they're journeying with them, they're in relationship. Actually, there's a deep kind of like friendship that was formed, but also they listen to their teaching and emulate their way of life. 
And so this concept of being a disciple of a rabbi is you're going to be with your leader, you're going to be listening to their teaching and emulating their way of life. This is what it meant to be a disciple. And this is the main phrase used to describe the nature of the Christian life in this generation, that you're actually in relationship with a rabbi. Jesus, think about Tom Nelson, this pastor in Kansas City, calls him the brilliant rabbi Jesus. Every time he's like praying and we pray, brilliant rabbi Jesus. But brilliant rabbi Jesus is one who had a way of living. What's stunning about Jesus here is Jesus, in all of the calls for disciples, there are people who occasionally in the Gospels ask, hey, can I follow you? Or what do I, what do I have to do to get entrance in the kingdom of heaven? And those weren't typically the people he's reaching. He was kind to them and inviting to them, but he's actually going not to the cream of the crop, not to the best of the best. He's going for the broken, the vulnerable, the outcasts, the failures, the people that are on empty, the people who feel like they're stuck in shame and guilt, the poor, He's going to people at a deep sense of their need, the stigmatized, and he's not saying, hey, are you good enough to be my disciple? He just says, follow me. Follow me. The rabbi is doing the inviting, not conditioned on anybody's performance, not conditioned on their knowledge, not conditioned on their togetherness, just his gracious, sovereign mercy towards people saying, follow me. It seems like the main condition to be a follower of Jesus is a sense of your brokenness, a sense of of your need, a sense that you actually need a savior. And that's what's happening in this passage. He's actually inviting people. And I don't know what you're, where you're feeling it right now, where you're feeling the way we talked about this last week. But you have in this life a way of approaching the burdens of life. And the rabbis in that day would teach, here's what life looks like. And this is the yoke that they would put on their disciples. If you want to be my disciple, here's the way we live. If you want to follow this religion, if you want to follow this system, here's the way we live. Here's the way we deal with conflict. Here's the way we teach. Here's the way we eat. Here's the way we celebrate Sabbath. Here's the way we do breakfast. Here's the way we do prayer times. And what Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 4, is that the religious leaders were actually giving people a yoke that was crushing them, putting something on their shoulders that wasn't giving them life, but was weighing them down, pressing them lower and lower and lower. And Jesus is saying, I have a different yoke. I have a different way, not a way that crushes, but a way that gives rest and rejuvenation to your soul. I have a different way. Now, I, the reason why I think this is relevant is we're all following somebody for wisdom for what, what life is and how, to, how we're supposed to live. You're following somebody. You, your approach to carrying and navigating the tensions of life has been shaped. You've been discipled. You have been discipled by somebody. You've followed teachers and leaders and parents and social leaders and kind of um, like celebrity leaders, right? And so the question I think you have to ask and that we have to ask is who am I following? Who am I following? Who has shaped the way you approach life? Where you think life comes from, how you think you're supposed to navigate through failure, through joys, through community, through marriage, through sexuality, through rest, through recreation, through work? Who has shaped your approach to these things? There are secular ways that that's shaped. Maybe it's through your family system that you grew up in. Maybe it's through your coworkers or your neighbors or your peers. But there's these sense in our culture that it's, accomp it's accomplishment, it's achievement, it's accumulation. It's the things we sang about, again, like being liked and loved by everyone or having power or having possessions, whatever it is, in the sense of I need more and I need more. That's a way of navigating life that will crush you if it hasn't already. If it hasn't already, it will crush you. And Jesus is inviting you, like, hey, there's a, there's a better way. I've come to offer you a different way. But there's also religious 
burdens. And that's actually more to the context in this passage. It's the religious weight of this kind of obedience to a system devoid of a relationship with the giver of life. That's following the rules. It's obeying the standards. It's organizing your life with a strict discipline around this system, but devoid of the life giver himself, devoid of the one who actually gives power and love and roots us in his grace. The sense that I need to do these things to get God to be happy with me. And Jesus is saying to people that are getting weighed down by that, maybe that's your experience of church, is more and more pressure. You leave communities or you leave systems or you leave services or small groups or, or church services like this feeling, I need to do more, do more. Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, I'm, I'm here to relieve you of that burden and to give you rest. So his invitation is a stunning invitation. But you have to ask, who, who am I following right now? And Jesus says, follow me, follow me. And like I said, this invitation first into a gracious relationship. As you think about the disciples following Jesus, and this is what's happening in the gospel stories, these groups of people following him, they're kind of inspired by him, and then they're like, I don't know, and you see people come, and you see people go, and you see people hang around for a bit, and then it gets kind of weird, and they, they kind of like hop off the train, and you just kind of, you're watching him. But as you watch him, you watch the way he forgives people, watch the way he treats those who are kind of seen as moral failures, or watch the way he cares for and welcomes children, or watch the way he loves and celebrates women in a culture that did not love and celebrate women. Watch the way he kind of speaks to people that are stigmatized. And you're watching this kind of like incredible love and action, but you keep watching. And all the while, he's on a journey towards Jerusalem. He's on a journey to, to the cross. And you have this sense like he's going to lead us to a better way to life. And then all of a sudden, he's being abandoned by his friends, betrayed by one of his 12. He's being arrested, wrongfully, falsely accused, wrongfully condemned. He's being stripped and whipped and beaten and then nailed to a tree where he hangs naked and bloody. And he, and he died. And like, that's the journey. You're like, what? That doesn't feel like flourishing life. And what Jesus is actually showing us is that the way to life is through his death. Because the, the biggest burden of life is the sense that we can do something and need to do something to kind of reconcile ourselves to God and to build the shalom, to build the peace, to build the kind of like the flourishing world that God has designed us for that's inside of our hearts. And so we strive and we wear ourselves out trying to build the perfect family, trying to be the perfect person, trying to build the perfect business and be in the right city and get anything we can to build the Garden of Eden and a paradise that we long for and try to make ourselves acceptable before God. And you just can't do it. You just can't do it. And so Jesus is saying, follow me. He says, because I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus isn't merely one teaching us a better way to live. He is actually one who is laying down his very life for his followers, for his disciples, so that our relationship with the joy giver, with the life giver, with the lover of our souls, isn't something we have to shoulder, isn't something we have to kind of lug through like this whole bag of guilt and shame and obligation and duty that just crushes. But it's, it's invitation. Hey, are you crushed right now? Come to me. Come to me. Take my yoke. Where Jesus shoulders that weight, the weight of our sin on our behalf. He dies on the cross bearing the weight of our sin, forgiving us, washing us, and he rose again on the third day, showing us that the path to life is a path of surrender. It is a path of death. It is a take up your cross and follow me. 
Put me at the center. Put me here. Let all these other things go. Everything your life could give. For whoever would save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life, whoever says, I want to follow you, Jesus. I hear your invitation. I'm going to say goodbye to these things. And it's you. I'm going to walk with you, follow you, stay near you. Those are the ones who save their life. Those are the ones who gain everything. Because you gain the Father. You gain love. You gain hope. You gain a future. And you gain Jesus who is with you every single day right now. He's with you. And so here's, here's where I wanted to spend a ton of time talking about this, but I actually just feel the heart of, of what Jesus is inviting us to is more significant. But it is so important to know that when Jesus calls us to be disciples, he's inviting us into a relationship. Yes, he's inviting us into the end of that journey, but the journey itself where he's teaching us, you don't have to walk through life alone. My MO with life is self-reliance. And every time I kind of find myself living in these self-reliant patterns, which is regularly, it's crushing the weight eventually wears me down and I have to remember, no, Jesus is with me. And I have to hear this invitation again, come to me, Gary. You're overwhelmed, you're burdened. You can find rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. You don't have to carry those burdens. You don't have to organize that and manage that and control that and control that outcome and make sure these people do this. You don't have to do that. Your family doesn't have to be perfect and you don't have to be perfect and Park Church doesn't have to be perfect. I'm your rabbi and I died for you. And I've cleansed you, and I love you, and nothing can separate you from my love. And this freedom, this moment to let go and release the burdens to God, to release them to Jesus. And so what I want to actually encourage you towards is in this relationship with Jesus, and as you're learning from him, as you're watching his way of life, the importance of actually, if you were a disciple in the first century, it'd be like this. Hey, welcome to Park Church. Good news, Jesus is outside. So if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, let's stick around for a few minutes. He's going to gather everybody out there, and then he's going to go somewhere and start doing stuff and saying things, and we're just going to follow him around. And we're going to have to probably, like, leave some stuff behind, and people are going to think we're nuts. And uh, it's going to be hard for family. It's going to be hard for friends. It's going to be hard financially. But he's the life giver, and so we're just going to go with him and watch him and learn from him and watch the way he lives and listen to what he teaches. And we do it. If the Spirit's like opening up your soul, you'd be like, you have the words of life. Where else would we go? But he's not outside. But he is here. He's here. He said, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so for me personally, when I think about what does it mean to kind of let Jesus carry the burdens of life and navigate through the pressures and the tensions and the burden of life as a disciple of Jesus, my burden bearer, the one who bared the weight of the world on my behalf so I can just follow him and experience his love and be anchored and secure in his love, I have to create spaces in my day to remind myself that God is with me. So we call these spiritual practices, these disciplines, these rhythms of, no, God is with me. I don't have to carry that. I feel stressed. I feel overwhelmed. I feel anxious. I can give that to him. To hear this invitation over and over, stay close to me, Gary. Stay close to me, son. Stay close to me, daughter. Stay right here. I'm with you. I don't want you to be overwhelmed. I don't want, I'm not trying to crush you. I can deal with your failures. I already have. I can deal with your weariness. I can give you joy. Relationships struggling. Work's overwhelming. There's tensions at home. There's frustration and angst in your soul. Just stay right here with me. Know my love. Watch me live. Listen to my teaching about the kingdom. Just stay here. So I want to encourage you with this question. What can, you, what can you do to create rhythms in your days to pay attention, or in the words of Brother Lawrence, a, a long-ago spiritual formation writer, to practice the presence of God? To pay attention to the presence 
of God. Um, for me, creating these moments, sometimes it's two minutes, sometimes it's five, but I've had like mixed and matched different things to just have these like these moments of unburdening myself before God. I want to I read to you, um, this is Eugene Peterson who wrote a paraphrase of the Bible, essentially. It's called The Message. On this section, here's what he says. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Keep company with him. My wife and I, uh, throughout COVID, things have been busy and uh, this is no excuse, but like we just got into like operation mode. Just get through life, figure out school, figure out family. We thought it was a good idea to get a puppy. Then it's another thing to figure out how to train a puppy, which you just basically, well, no, there are good ways to train a puppy, but it's overwhelming. Everybody says it, it is. We had our first date night and it was way overdue. We had our first date night in a long time this past week. And we've been married 14 years. And it's this moment of like, oh, we like each other. We like each other. We're sitting face to face, no agenda. We're trying not to talk about all the plans. We just, we like each other. And when you get face to face with God, you kind of feel like, oh, he loves me. Or maybe you feel there's tension that you have to be honest. I feel tension. I feel like I have, maybe it just feels awkward because you haven't done it for a long time. Or maybe you never have spent face to face time with God in your whole life. You've done re the religious thing. And Jesus is saying, come to me, sit down with me. Sit down with me. So what does it look like to create space? There's so many ways to do it. We've been recommending this Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day by Pete Scazzaro. Walks through kind of a two-time-a-day model that the old school terminology is the daily office. There's a, an app that I've been using some over the past few months called Lectio 365, which is this daily kind of reading, prayer, kind of silence guide. There are so many scripture reading plans, but if you're doing scripture reading, just creating space to actually be silent and ask God, what do you want to, Holy Spirit, what do you want to teach me through this? There's, um, there's an app that I think has been super helpful. It's called the Pause app. It's from a book called Get Your Life Back and um, by John Eldridge. And it's, he's just advocating for just creating little spaces in your day to remind yourself, like, God, I, I want to give you everyone and everything. The things I wasn't created to bear, the, the burdens I wasn't created to carry, I need to give those to you again. Remind me that you're with me. Fill me up with your presence and move forward. And those little moments throughout the day string together to form a lighter way. The burdens don't go away, but it's a lighter way to carry them. It's a freer way to live. And it's the way that Jesus has called us to experience his love and his life. He is inviting you even today in the midst of the burdens you face. Are you, are you tired? Are you worn out? Come to me and I'll give you rest. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you now. We need your grace. We need your healing. We need your love. And we need your spirit right now to work in us that we would hear your invitation. Son and daughter, come to me and I will give you rest. Amen. The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org.